Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to episode number 113 of Thyroid Nation Radio Live talk show and podcast. I'm Dana Bowman, founder of Thyroid Nation. And I'm Tiffany Milanich of Grateful Garden. <laughs> Today we are talking with certified nutritionally nutritional therapy practitioner, author, blogger, and autoimmune protocol guru, Mickey Trescott. We're going to be talking to her about elimination diets, nutrition, recipes, batch cooking, and successful thyroid eating. We've been waiting for a long time to have her on, so we are really, really excited. Yes, we are. And it looks like she is already with us. So let's get this Thyroid Nation thriving. Help us, Mickey. <laughs> Good morning. Hey, guys. How's everything going? Great. Pretty good. Pretty good. A little toasty here in Joshua Tree, but other than that. <laughs> and where are you calling awesome. from, Mickey? You gotta... um, I'm calling in from uh, the northern end of the Willamette Valley in Oregon, where we have our first cloudy day in, I don't know, three months. <laughs> it's uh, It's feeling like fall here. Ah, now that's a lovely thing I can wrap my head around. What Temperature-wise, where, where are you guys at right now? Oh, it's pretty warm for us, uh, high 70s, so it's still definitely summer, but it's been really hot here, which has been really unseasonal. We saw 106 degrees a few weeks ago, so we're oh definitely feeling cool. I'm sure you guys are used to that. Yeah, that's yeah. fun. Uh, yeah, I'm, for, I'm well, loving. Well, not so much for you anymore in Colorado. <laughs> You're pretty cool now. I'm loving it. Well, it's it's actually just been supposedly what everybody's saying is a strange year. I don't know. I think it, the weather just did it because you no, know, I was moving here from Costa Rica and it wanted me to like it. So I mean, it is. <laughs> it's been brilliant, really. I mean, it's. I don't even know. Ninety, maybe a couple of times. <laughs> it's just been. Yeah, I don't want to rub it in or anything, but it's been brilliant. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Okay, we can change the subject, ladies, because I'm pining for the fall. I mean, We're smoking it's, here. It's funny. I have to tell you guys, it's funny because um, I'll be talking with um, with Jenny, my partner, and um, on we're doing a new project and. She'll be laughing at us because we're, we're, we say we're cold. And she's like, God, you, you guys have been saying it's cold a lot lately. And I'm thinking, I know, it's like 69 or 70. Can you believe it? She's like, okay, that's just that's not funny. I mean, she's in Montana. So, yeah, that's not really cold. So, <laughs> <laughs> Well, we desperately need your help, Mickey. We need some, we need some tips and tricks and we, we do make it work. But first off, we we always love to hear, um, and you have quite the story, so a little bit about you and how you got into what you do. Yeah, so, you know, my story is definitely, I will spare you guys uh, the nitty-gritty details, but uh, basically, uh, when I was 26 years old, so now, I don't know, six years or so ago, I was diagnosed with Hashimoto's and celiac disease after about a year of searching for some answers to some unexplained health issues, starting with a seizure that I had on Christmas Day the year before, and, you know, like, you know, the story that you guys probably have yourselves or, you know, many of your listeners have, um, I went to the doctor, they told me that I was fine, it was all in my head, I was too young, I was too thin um, to have thyroid problems, even though I knew as my symptoms became more clear that that is what I was dealing with was thyroid issues. 
So, um, you know, I was constantly dismissed until I really learned how to advocate for myself, found that doctor number six who was actually willing to run the appropriate lab work and who gave me the diagnosis. Um, But at that point, they said, you know, your lab work is normal and there's nothing we can do for you. So go on your merry way. And I was just at that point just devastated that um, I got to that point. What I really thought I needed was a diagnosis, and and uh, I got it, and it didn't change anything. I actually got a lot sicker. So um, the few months after my diagnosis was when my health crisis was really in full swing. I lost my job because I was so tired I couldn't get out of bed and even go to work. And I kept going to work and finally they said, you know what, Um, we can tell something's up and you really need to deal with it. And we're really sorry. We really support you. But, you know, uh, you need you need some help. And um, I started experiencing more symptoms. So more than the thyroid stuff, which for me was the cold hands and feet, the extreme fatigue, not even being able to go up a flight of stairs, for instance, um, the insomnia, um, that turned into some more like neurological stuff. So I started slurring my speech. I started having numbness on the left side of my body, left side of my face, uh, burning pain that would keep me awake at night that would spread from my toes up to my knees, literally felt like the bottom half of my body was on fire. Um, and pleurisy, which is uh, inflammation of the lining of the, the lungs. So when I would take a, a deep breath, it just was like incredibly painful. And so I, you know, went back to my doctors, I got a bunch of specialists involved, they all were thinking that maybe I was developing lupus or multiple sclerosis. Um, I had a symptom picture there. I had some imaging, MRI, and nothing really came back clear. But they said, you know, with two autoimmune diseases under your belt, it's highly likely that you are probably have another one. We just need to wait until you have these symptoms for maybe three to six more months before we will give you an official diagnosis. And that was the moment where I was like, what, how did I get here and what do I need to do to get out? (laughs) You know, Um, and I had been vegan for 10 years. I had been uh, working as a chef in a past life. Actually, at the moment I was diagnosed, I was working in coffee service in Seattle. Um, But I, I wasn't a stranger to a healthy lifestyle and healthy eating. So the whole situation, you know, I thought that kind of stuff happened to people that were like eating McDonald's and drinking box wine. And like, I wasn't that person. I was eating whole foods. Um, Even as a vegan, I didn't eat processed like tofu. Um, You know, I, I thought that that was too processed for me. So when I asked my doctors, you know, could my diet have anything to do with this? They said, oh, you eat this great low-fat diet. This has nothing to do with what you're experiencing. If anything, your diet is helping you. And it wasn't until I really reached the bottom that I started to think, you know, maybe this diet stuff does have something to do with it, and I'm going to look into it. And so that was the turning point where you know, I, I discovered uh, ancestral diets. I discovered elimination diets. I, I discovered why maybe eating meat um, was missing from my, from my diet and how that could be nourishing to someone with multiple autoimmune diseases. Um, and when I went back to work, 
I really had to rethink my priorities as far as, uh, you know, if I go back to work as a cook, how am I going to deal with my food sensitivities and touching and tasting different foods? And so I went back to school for nutrition, and and that's kind of where all of the blog and the book and the work that I do now came out of just that huge life change that came from having a, a crazy health crisis and working myself out of it. So. That's the nutshell. Okay, so so when you had, you know, we were at the doctors and they were like, well, we'll we're going to wait for six months. What did you actually do at that point to, like, make yourself feel better? I mean, did you, were you taking anything? I mean, what did they suggest? I'm just, I'm floored that you <laughs> had to go through all well, of that and then come through this self-realization. You know, I'm just kind of thinking, yeah. wow. I was young and, and I was terrified. So, and, and I don't, I didn't look sick. And I think that that, right. a, a lot of people with autoimmune disease struggle with this. And um, having both Hashimoto's and celiac, you know, with Hashimoto's, we tend to gain weight and with celiac tends to present as wasting. So I think both diseases were uh, not uncovered as quickly as they could have been because they were a, a little bit working against each other to make me kind of look like a normal person. So when I went in, I got a lot of, um, you know, you're just depressed and this is all in your head and it's anxiety and you're a hypochondriac and, and that kind of talk. Really, they they were presenting it as maybe I'm making a bigger deal about my symptoms than I'm really experiencing. Um, I was dismissed. Um, you know, had multiple talks where they would bring in my family and they would confront me about having an eating disorder. <laughs> and my oh, husband oh. had to be like, no, you know, oh. but, you know, and and I, I really do think that a lot of it was just being a young person experiencing what I was experiencing and not having a lot of outward um anything to show for it um, is not supported by our medical system, you know? So that's um, crazy. I can't believe, I can't believe they they did that. (laughs) Yeah. And and they're just, you know, it's not uncommon since I've shared my story online and and through my podcast. And I I have people writing to me all the time, young people in their twenties, uh, a lot of women just saying, oh, my gosh, I've had the same thing happen. And even to the point where I have a lot of friends that are now, you know, we're in our early 30s, but, you know, late 20s started having similar issues where they would go into the doctor and say, you know, I think I have this thyroid thing. My friend has it. And because I noticed symptoms of Hashimoto's in them and they would be dismissed until they finally did get that blood test and they did have those antibodies and they did have Hashimoto's, you know, so we're not crazy. No, we're not crazy. No, Did we're you not. Did you by chance have Epstein-Barr as well? Mickey, just curious with that crushing fatigue you were mentioning. I was just, you just know, curious. a lot of, it's kind of a hot topic. I've been tested for Epstein-Barr. I've never had like a high viral load, um, no like acute background with that. It's never been a part of my journey with that. Right. Um, I know a lot of people find that that's a big root cause for them, but not in my experience. No, I've been tested for it. Same thing with Lyme. Wow. Oh, that's good. Right. And you, did you have trouble? Um, do you look back now, uh, you know, cause I know you were diagnosed celiac quite late. So do you look back now and, mm-hmm. and realize that this, this has been part of your 
just your journey? Did you have troubles as a child with different things? And um, So as a celiac, I still to this day never have gut symptoms when I get gluten. Wow. I have neurological symptoms. Neurological. And this is something that doctors are unwilling really to accept that there are celiacs out there that have a neurological presentation <laughs> or, or, or neurological reaction to gluten. And that is my experience. And I've talked to so many celiacs that say, oh, yeah, that's me too. Um, so I didn't get the diarrhea. Um, I didn't get the stomach aches. I, I never had any of that as a kid or as an adult. And still to this day, if I get glutened, I know because I start not being able to form sentences and talk properly, and then about the next day or two, I'll start losing the feeling on my left side of my face, and then that's when I know. Um, also emotional, I have an extreme emotional reaction. The last time that I got glutened, I was trying to cook a pork chop. And it, this was, I had uh, I had sushi for lunch and that's where I got glutened. And then for dinner, I was trying to cook a pork chop and I steamed it instead of, I didn't get the pan hot enough. And for any of you guys that cook, you'll know that, you know, when you're trying to sear roast a pork chop, you're, you're trying to get it really hot and get a nice crust. And I'm very particular about it. So I didn't do it right. The pan wasn't hot enough. I just like steamed this pork chop. It looked awful and gray. And I just started bawling, like just out of control. I was on the floor. It was still on the stove, you know, burning. And my husband comes down and he's like, honey, I'm so sorry, but I think we got glutened. Like, this, this is what's going on here. So and, easy and to often tell for you now. Good. Yeah, he knows. You, yeah, exactly. Um, but that's the kind of reaction that I get when I'm glutened. It's not gut related, which I think threw the doctors off for a long time. That's, that's where the whole, maybe you have MS thing came from, um, was my reaction neurologically to the food that I was eating. Tiffany has the same thing, Mickey. She gets, she gets serious (sighs) neurological issues when she, when she gets glutened. She does. Uh, you know, I, I don't it, like turning my brain off. And you know, and this is going to sound absolutely terrible. And and you girls feel free to just just sear me up, just tie me up, light me on fire. I'm okay with that. Okay. But um, I honestly have to admit. I mean, I'm I'm sure that I'm not the only one out there, ladies. But that has been Mickey. Believe it or not, that the reason that I have not gone gluten free. I have four kids. I have a just insane busy lifestyle, and. Um, between dance and baseball and school and working and uh, there and and the the kicker has been that not all gluten shuts my brain off. That's the thing. This is where and Tom O'Brien, I'm sure he just he just like shakes his head like my God, this this child is just she has no brain. <laughs> I'm sure of it. But certain you know when I encounter certain foods, literally my children say it's like it's like shutting my brain off because it's. My kids will snap. They're like, Mom, Mom, Dad, Mom ate something didn't work very well, you know. But it <laughs> it doesn't happen with all all the time. Does that make sense? So it's like a hit and miss. And I haven't had digestive issues, which is, you know, I mean, for I'm in the same category as you where it's all neurological. I mean, literally, it's just all in my head. I mean, that sounds like a poke fun, but yeah. it's not, and, it's not it funny when your hard. brain turns off. Yeah, it's hard to measure um, like the motivation and compliance when you have a reaction to a food. I'm sure we'll talk about elimination diets later, but 
I mean, I have issues with the tiniest amount of gluten, like cross-contamination level, but I have that happen with other foods, like nightshade family foods, like tomatoes and peppers and stuff. Uh, in some situations, they really affect me and others, they don't. And, and what I might say is that, you know, the form or the stress level or whatever else is going on in your life, how your biology is at that moment, you know, is causing the reaction or not, you know, because we're all on a different spectrum with each food as far as what we can tolerate and when. And, you know, that's probably, I would probably just avoid the gluten if you can, but, um, (laughs) but if you don't notice it all the time, it makes it that much harder to avoid it all the time. Right. Well, and and I'll ask you, because I literally consider you the autoimmune paleo, you're the guru. You are the the person Uh to ask. I'm no guru. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I get um, significant depression within about, I'm I'm talking, and I'm usually very, very even keeled, um, you know, uh, pretty positive and literally like 48 hours or less into removing gluten, which of course takes a lot of carbohydrates out. I'm a a food controlled diabetic, so I I only eat about 30 to 40 carbohydrates per meal. So it's not like I carb load or anything like that. But when I remove them, I get significant depression. I, Mm -hmm. I mean, I wish somebody could like videotape it or follow me or something. And I think there's kind of a syndrome in there. It's not not necessarily. You know, some people say, "Well, that's candida die off," and it's all these different things. I'm like, "Yeah, no, this is this is a whole different ball game." But um, when I had my genetic testing done, you know, I don't convert and eliminate, you know, serotonin and dopamine and all these things. I have all these genetic SNPs, and I wonder if that's why it's so hard for me. Like, it it's not just a little depression. Like, it's an I don't want to get out of bed. I don't want to, and I don't. That's not normal for me. So one of these days when, when Ben Lynch is on here, we're going to grill his brain on stuff like that because, again, I know I'm not the only one who goes through that. Now, have you ever heard or, or experienced anybody that's had those issues with uh, going paleo? Yeah, and- I mean, a, a lot of people have withdrawal to foods that, um, you know, they fulfill some sort of, um, you know, biological role in in our bodies that that might even be like an addictive cycle um, and kind of breaking up with them there's definitely people that have reactions that are really bad when they remove foods that are bad for them which doesn't sound intuitive um, but I I definitely think that that's possible and I've encountered that in some of my clients what I would say too is you know Sometimes it gets worse before it gets better, but if it doesn't seem to be getting better, then I would look into what is it about that food that you need to replace. Is it those carbs? That would probably be the most um, obvious thing. And if I were working with a client, I would suggest that they get the same amount of starchy carbohydrate from a different food. So that might be like cassava or taro or yuca or plantain. Um, Sweet potato doesn't work for some people. It's a little bit more sweet than starchy. But, um, you know, troubleshooting that. Sweet potato drops my blood sugars very quickly. (laughs) That's the the kicker. Yeah, because, because it's so 
sweet. So you're looking for something that is more starchy. And I, I think if you're replacing bread, where I would start is cassava. Have you ever had cassava? I have not, no. Mm-mm. Yeah. This is why I need the autoimmune the paleo most... cookbook. I just need to stick, to, stick with <laughs> well, the recipes, I don't have Tiffany. cassava <laughs> recipes in that book just because I didn't know about cassava back then. But cassava oh, wow. um, is traditionally used in, like, Central and South American cooking. It's a very uh, native food for them. It's a root, and it's very, very starchy. So um, it makes a really great replacement for bread. So that's where I would start. You know, if you want to make like cassava tortillas are super easy to make with just cassava flour, a little arrowroot. Um, if you can do egg, you can put egg. You can also make them egg-free, maybe a little olive oil, coconut oil, coconut milk, something to kind of thin it up. Um, but you can make, you know, pancakes out of them, crepes, you know, whatever you want. And it's super Ooh, easy that to use. Sounds, that sounds awesome. I mean, I think that's that's the thing. It's like the depression and the and the fatigue. It's not like I'm just refusing to do it. Does that make sense? Like I know that I should do it. I know that it's very important, but it's for me. It's just been an enormous challenge. It's like how do you take a, a depressed, fatigued mom, you know what I mean, and make her functional? I mean, my kid, I'm like, oh. So one of these days, yeah, it's just I'm, it's I, troubleshooting. It's not as easy as just an elimination. You have to troubleshoot what you're adding in place and figure out what a good replacement is and, you know, all of the reasons why you might be feeling the way you feel because of that food. Well, you just mentioned uh, what we're going to jump into, elimination. Uh, but before we yep. get to that, I wanted to wanted to ask you, um, cassava, is it something that you can find easily in, in most stores? Because um, I haven't ever tried it myself, so I'm just wondering if you know. Yeah, so cassava... Uh, I think right now Whole Foods just started carrying it. So you will likely find it in like a Whole Foods, natural grocers and natural grocery store, you know, Sprouts might have it. I might ask at somewhere like Sprouts if they don't have it, they can probably get it. Um, They probably don't have it at a regular like Safeway, but they also sell it online. So Amazon has it, Thrive Market has it. And my favorite brand is Otto's Cassava Flour. And, uh, yeah, they're great. Their quality is really high, and it's just a staple that I keep now for, you know, just replacing. It, it, I don't make bread out of it, but having, you know, like tortillas and, and pancakes and that kind of stuff every once in a while, it just makes you feel like you're having a little treat, you know, and that's why I have it. Pie crust, it makes great pie crust. Really? Auto. O T T O apostrophe S autos. Okay, got it. Yeah, and it's so it. starchy that you can actually get like a flaky pie crust. Part like I hate coconut flour. I mean, I'm just over coconut flour, baked goods, <laughs> coconut flour cookies. You're over you know, coconut. Coconut. There, there's. I love coconut oil. I love coconut milk. But like coconut flour, that is like the worst part. I think of the coconut, and a lot of people really don't even tolerate it very well. A lot of people, it makes them bloated, and it just doesn't behave the way you want it to behave when you're cooking it. So, um, this cassava flour is just that. It really has that texture. Um, it's super nice. It's not, you know, it doesn't have gluten in it, so it's not going to do what a glutinous flour will, but it's very nice and starchy, and it'll get that kind of flaky, flakiness that we all like. Now, I'm just jumping in. Autoimmune paleo is no nuts, correct, in the beginning? So tell us, 
Mickey, what is autoimmune paleo? Yeah, so the autoimmune uh, protocol or autoimmune paleo diet, people call it either, um, it's an elimination diet. So I'm sure a lot of your listeners are familiar with elimination diets, but this one is specific to the foods that cause inflammation for people with autoimmune disease. So this is all researched by Dr. Sarah Ballantyne on the heels of a lot of the paleo authors like um, Mark Sisson and Chris Cresser and Rob Wolf, who kind of put forth some ideas and started talking about maybe some of these foods aren't so great for people with autoimmune disease. Sarah really took the, that idea, um, researched it. She has like 2,000 scientific references in her book, The Paleo Approach, and developed a protocol for it. Um, and this is what I did in the depths of my illness was I started eliminating a bunch of foods. So on the elimination phase, we take out grains, beans, legumes, dairy, eggs, nuts, seeds, nightshade, family vegetables, and all thickeners, chemicals, sugar, uh, alcohol, fake sugar type substances. So basically all you're eating, there are, there are plenty of foods left over, but what really what you're eating are natural, healthy fats, vegetables, uh, roots, meat, fish, shellfish, um, just the basics. And you do that with 100% compliance for at least 30 days sometimes up to 90 days, so one to three months. And then you reintroduce foods one by one on a schedule that um, Sarah has in her book and I have in my books um, in order from least likely to cause a problem and highest nutrient density. So you're getting foods that really you want back in your diet earliest. So those are like those nuts and seeds. And then you go down to the foods that are most likely to cause a problem and least nutrient-dense. And for some people, those are called stage 4 foods. They might not be able to reintroduce them. Like in that process, you figure out, like for me, dairy is a no-go at any level. Even ghee, where all the casein's removed, really? doesn't work for me. Some people might be able to get to butter or they might be able to get to hard cheese or yogurt. And that works for them, but actual milk doesn't work for them. They might find that, you know, eggs from pastured chickens works for them, but eggs that are conventional from the store don't work for them. So the reintroduction part, you know, a lot of people focus on AIP as this big elimination diet that people do forever. It's not forever. That's a huge misconception. It's just a tool you use to figure out what foods work for you. And then you're on this custom diet that you know what your core foods are, what kind of those gray area foods are, and what your no foods are. That's great. That's great to know That's because awesome. people really do stay on it for way too long. I mean, I had a friend who was on it for four years, and it's good to hear yeah, you especially say it. And and the people that have been advocating this, I think at the beginning that misconception came from people who don't have autoimmune disease that said, hey, I saw this research that shows that this food might be bad for people with autoimmune disease. And in the beginning, there was no guidance on reintroduction. That's something that came from Sarah's work. So Sarah and I did the autoimmune protocol ourselves before we started writing about it. So we were kind of navigating, trying to figure out what to do. So in the early days, it was more of a like, well, if you have autoimmune disease, try not eating these foods. And back then, we were all so sick that we were like, if, if this works forever, great. 
Right. <laughs> you know, right. I could never look at a potato again if, if it meant that, you know, I could speak and get out of bed, you know. But then once it got refined, it started to, we started to figure out that these reintroductions, not only is that really important to not develop a, a, an unhealthy relationship with food, to not develop a burdened heart and mind when it comes to um, figuring out what your relationship with food, you know, uh, that gets tricky for a lot of people when they're restricting for a long time. And a lot of these foods that we remove initially are actually good nutrient dense, healthy foods that have nutrients that we want, you know, like eggs are a perfect example. They're a very nutritious food. If they work for you, um, a lot of nuts and seeds have a lot of great minerals and they can be a, a really on the go protein source for people. Um, so there definitely are some foods that some people can introduce and other people can't, you know, but most people have a little wiggle room there. Well, and I think when you reintroduce it, I think there's a lot of people who eat foods, you know, uh, I mean, I eat a ton of eggs and nuts. That's a huge, uh, you know, protein source for me. And, and if I don't have eggs in the morning, you might as well just, you might as well just stick a fork in me and lay me down in bed because my day is not going to go. But I think, you know, so many times people continue to eat foods that may not necessarily be good for them. Like they, they sort of talk themselves into it. Does that make sense? And then when yeah, they remove them, sure. they're like, oh, my God, you know, I feel like a different person or, you know, I just lost all this weight or, you know, because I removed this inflammation of this food that was literally making me sick, but I was so focused on the protein or the benefits or, you know, the lutein or whatever it is, you know what I'm saying? And they keep sure. going, yeah. so like 30 days. Yeah, and that's what, 30 what days. the elimination phase <laughs> does is it clears the slate. And, you know, without those eggs for breakfast, you have to figure out, you know, you eat meat patties or you eat a soup or things that people think are just so unconventional. They're like soup for breakfast. I can't even tell you how weird that sounds to so many people. And they say, well, I'm used to breakfast foods. And until it's the leftover slice of pie or leftover pizza, they'll gladly eat that for breakfast. But soup is right, weird. Right, right. That is weird. Uh, but soup. Creatures of habit. You know, I mean, people get in these ruts of things, you know, of eating habits. Well, and excuses, too. And excuses. Mm -hmm. So, you know, after 30 days of eating this way and maybe trying the soup for breakfast, I mean, I think soup is a perfect breakfast because you have your protein, you have your bone broth, you have your easily digestible, um, like, simmered vegetables. I mean, that is what my body wants. First thing in the morning, it wants something that is easily digestible with protein, fat, and a little bit of complex carbohydrates to fuel me for the day. That is like it. And after doing that, maybe for a month, people feel so good and they realize, wow, when I eat a real breakfast with like meat and vegetables, I'm not hungry all day. I don't have that blood sugar crash. I'm, I'm not grabbing energy drinks and, and coffee. Um, then they realize, even if they do the reintroductions and maybe they kind of reintroduce things too fast or kind of go back to the way they were eating, at least they know how good it can be. And that's motivation to try to get back there. You know what I mean? Right. I love so that. 30 days. You, 30 days. I can days. do it. I can do mm -hmm. it. I can, I, I'm like going to. Digestible. I'm going to be a test doable. monkey. I'm going to figure it out. It's doable. So for the, for my blood sugar control over so many years, it's, I've really stuck within, you know, um, a certain protein to carbohydrate ratio. 
do you guys, you know, a, a misconception in paleo is that it's so much meat, like that you're consuming, you know, over 150 grams of protein a day. Is that true or is it a, is that a myth? I mean, some people might do it. Everyone, like the way that, what I actually really like about paleo and this kind of ancestral style way of eating, including AIP, is that it allows for a lot of variation. There isn't any macronutrient that's like you have to eat a lot of fat. You know, there's the keto people, and then there's people where um, on the end of the spectrum like me and, you know, especially experts like Sarah Ballantyne who really advocate for a lot of vegetables. Um, I eat more vegetables now than I did when I was a vegetarian. And the reason is because <laughs> I'm is not eating... <laughs> Right. It is funny, and you know we it have is. a hashtag on Instagram. A lot of um, ex-vegans like myself use this hashtag: more vegetables than a vegetarian. Because often I'll share plates of food that I'm eating, and it's just like packed with vegetables, and there's a little portion of meat. And coming from a vegan background, I started eating meat, thinking of it as medicine. Um, that was the only way that I could get over that hurdle of eating meat again. I just I really was opposed to killing animals and the ethical side of it. And I realized that if I got a small quality or a small quantity of the highest quality ethically raised meat, that that I could get behind that. And so, um, yeah, some people might do paleo and eat a ton of meat, but other people don't. So um, like the different foods that we're eating on the elimination diet and, and after reintroducing, seeing what works for someone, that protein level and, and how much meat they eat might be different person to person. And I felt like I went through a very restorative phase when I was first on the autoimmune protocol and I ate a little bit more meat than I do now just because I had been vegan for 10 years and I was nutrient depleted or nutritionally depleted. I, I needed iron. I needed B12. I needed zinc. You know, I needed all these things that was in meat and I felt so good when I ate meat um, that I was eating a little bit more then. But now I just kind of go with my gut and it, it ebbs and flows with the season. And um, I don't think that you need to eat a lot of meat to successfully eat this way. Perfect. Now, did you incorporate some um, supplements to heal your nutrient deficiencies, Mickey, or did you? Were you able to do oh, that I just tried. by healing your gut, healing your gut I and diet? I tried so hard. I, to do I, supplements? I, you know, I worked with a nutritionist. Yeah, I worked with a nutritionist. I tried a lot of different forms, especially the iron, just would not come up for me. And I started eating red meat, and in a month, my normal my numbers were normal, and it wow. just I know that for some people, especially people who choose to continue being vegan or vegetarian, um, supplements are a lifeline for them and they really need them. But mm -hmm. when I was at my sickest and I started to come around to the idea that the nutrient piece was really uh, a part of what I was struggling with, um, I just, I tried really hard, but it just didn't produce the results that actually eating meat did for me. So I find that way more effective. Oh, I, I agree. That's why mm -hmm. I asked. <laughs> so thank you. Mm -hmm. I yeah. designed a better answer than that. <laughs> mm -hmm. I gave I gave it a try, and I, I feel bad. You know, I, I'm contacted all the time um, by people who just cannot eat meat for whatever reason, and, you know, they're desperately 
asking me to say, just please tell me I'll be okay with supplements. And, you know, who knows, maybe it'll work for them. But my experience was just that the eating meat just blew the supplementation out of the water. Like, um, now when I get labs back, and I have in the last few years, a couple times come back on the lower end of iron, not like I was when I was super sick, but my doctor will say, oh, you should try an iron supplement. And I'll be like, nope, I'm going to go home and cook up some liver. <laughs> like, I know how <laughs> this like, works. Thank you, no. <laughs> oh, my goodness. When you go home and cook up some liver, just for everybody listening, exactly how do you prepare that? Because everybody has this, you know, oh. liver. And what type of liver? Right. What's your favorite liver okay. recipe? Okay. Yes. Chicken liver is milder tasting, um, but it doesn't have as much nutrients as beef liver. And so I've always gone for beef liver just because of that. That's what I discovered Mm -hmm. when I was super sick and I really needed iron and B12. It does not get any better than beef liver. So I find beef liver from pastured um, grass-fed cows is a minimum. You know, obviously the liver is a filtration organ, but a lot of people um, fall into the misconception that it stores toxins. Toxins are actually stored in fat cells. So if you're eating fatty cuts of um, conventional meat, you're getting way more toxins than you are if you're even eating conventionally raised liver. So um, get the best source you can, hormone-free, grass-fed, pastured. Um, Liver is something that is so cheap. Farmers can't get rid of it because nobody wants it. So even if you go to your farmer's market, like I did when I was first starting my journey, I lived across the street from a weekly farmer's market in Seattle, which was like amazing and such a great resource for me. But there was this farm that I could not even afford their ground beef. It was so expensive because it was so high quality, but their liver was like 250 a pound. And so I would go across there and I would just buy a bunch of liver. And as a recovering vegan, I thought because the liver was so nutrient dense that I could actually get away with eating less meat by eating more nutrient dense liver. So that's another piece there. Um, But how I cook it, so I I like beef liver for that reason. Um, Lamb liver is a little bit more pungent. Um, Same thing with pork liver, but some people like the flavor. So if you're into that, great. Um, The way I cook it is uh, I have a recipe on my blog. You can Google bacon beef liver pate. That'll come up. It's also in my book. Um, And it has converted many people who do not like liver, like myself, into being liver lovers. Um, What I do is I cook a few slices of bacon in like a skillet and I cook them until they're crispy and I leave all the fat in the pan. And then I cook a whole onion, a ton of herbs, something like maybe a quarter of a cup of fresh chopped herbs. You can use anything, Um, rosemary, thyme, oregano, sage, marjoram, whatever you've got. Um, I usually go out in the garden and I just take a big sampling of what I have and I just, the more the better. Um, And then I add in slices of maybe a pound to a pound and a half of beef liver that are kind of sliced thin. Um, Beef liver is a little bit gross to handle, just warning you. Um, But I think it, for me, it's, it's a, a realistic, you know, going from not eating animals to eating animals, like 
it was really important for me to be in touch with the fact that, you know, what I'm eating used to be alive and, and give it the respect that it deserves. And I think totally. handling it is, is, is respectful and, and realizing, yeah, it's a little bit bloodier and grosser than muscle meat, but um, I don't know, it, it grounded me in that way. I don't know if that makes sense. So, um, you know, that this is my least favorite part of actually creating the pate is actually unpackaging the liver, rinsing it off, slicing it into smaller bits. But I do it because it really makes me feel good um, to eat this meal. So then I'll saute it in those onions and that fat and those herbs just until it's barely pink inside. You can test it with a knife. And then I stick all of that in a blender or a food processor with a half a cup of coconut oil, which is a lot of coconut oil, but that's what you need to really get it to be creamy and blend it up. Um, and then I crumble that bacon that I cooked in the beginning and I mix that in and it just tastes delicious. It's watered down, so to say, with um, onion and coconut oil and all the herbs and that bacon flavor. So it really doesn't taste like you're eating straight liver at that point. And so that's how I eat it. Mm, okay. Yeah, we so had Sarah on questions. a few weeks ago, and she was talking about her um, burgers, her liver burgers, right? So mm-hmm. we have two recipes we have to try now, Tiff. I, yes, absolutely. Absolutely. So I yeah, have and, a couple quick questions. Eating liver. Oh, yeah. Go ahead. No, no, go ahead, Mickey. I was just saying, you know, for people that are kind of turning up their nose and like, I don't know if I <laughs> really want to do that. For me, I can't even eat like a tiny bit of this pate too late in the day because I won't sleep. It gives me that much energy. So when I am feeling tired and run down, what I do is I make a big batch. Maybe I'll make two pounds of of the pate and then I'll put it in three or four little jars because I can't eat a lot of it. It it makes me hyper and I freeze three of them and then I just have one of them and I just eat a a couple little spoonfuls maybe on plantain crackers or apple slices or something. And for an afternoon snack, when I'm feeling a low, that is just picks me up. That's awesome. I have never had liver, ever. I've never had it. (laughs) Is that crazy? I'm 47 years old. I've never had liver. Try it. Try it. Do it. You need to be a liver lover, like like Mickey. (laughs) You know, my husband's husband's grandma used to make it once a month. Like it was, you know, she's, Mm -hmm. of course, old European, and, and, uh, you know, it was kind of like a mandatory minimum. Yeah, they use all the parts of the animal. Yeah, no they, big use, time. they use all the parts. They make stocks and broths and they cook the organs and the whole family eats them. You know, we, yes. do, we don't have that in our culture anymore. It, and you know what? I, I honestly believe that that is an enormous health ding. <laughs> I think our, mm-hmm. our like, because I, mm-hmm. I was never allowed to eat dark meat when I was little. And what I mean by it is like on a turkey or chicken or whatever. Because, you know, for my parents came from the 70s, there was too much fat in there. You know what I mean? So I only ate the, the breast meat. And, you know, I think to myself, scratching my head now, and I'm like, God, I wonder how much better you know, my childhood would have been if I was able to have a little fat. You know what I mean? Yeah, <laughs> oh my yeah, gosh. for sure. Uh-huh. Okay, mm-hmm. so two quick questions about the liver. One is, are you a fan of the powdered liver for people who, and, and being a former vegetarian, I totally get what you mean about the animals that sustain my life. I totally get it. I have way more respect now 
than I ever than I ever could have ever wanted to have had when I was vegetarian. But uh, so I totally get that it was a resonation moment for me. But for the people who are just like, there's no way I could handle that. How do you like the powdered liver? You know how they have the powdered liver that you just scoop I, into. Yeah, I. Mm-hmm. I think it's a good option. I think that it's cost prohibitive for people that that were like me that maybe really need that nutrition. Uh, I think gotcha. the likelihood that you're going to actually be able to get enough in, I think it's either going to be really expensive or you're going to be fun trying to figure out how to make this liver powder taste good enough right. when you just cook liver. You know, it's the cheap, like literally the cheapest meat you can buy for the highest quality. I kind of think it's a no-brainer. Um, something that I would suggest before trying supplements for people that really don't want to be eating it as a pate or cooked straight is actually you can freeze it and then run it through the shredding blade on a food processor or or shred it with a box grater and then put it in ice cube tray so like easily portioned oh wow refreeze yeah. it pop those out put them in a little baggie so it's like a tablespoon and anytime you use ground meat just grab one of those liver cubes and let it thaw and mix it in with your ground beef or your ground pork or your ground chicken if you're making chili or burgers or whatever um, throw that in there and that'll add that nutrition to whatever you're cooking but you're not going to taste it oh Oh, Mickey's tip for the day I love that totally fantastic and that kind of that kind of hits my second question, which was, can you just take the liver and and throw it in a soup? <laughs> you know, what I, mean? you know just... I wouldn't throw a lot of it in the soup because it's very pungent. It's liver. It, it has. I don't want to discourage anyone from eating it if they haven't eaten it before. Um, but it has a very strong flavor, and gotcha. with a soup, sometimes it will concentrate that flavor and it'll it'll make the soup taste a certain way that if you're not used to liver, it might magnify it. So right, right, right. Um, I would throw maybe one of those cubes in a soup. Um, I wouldn't like cook actual liver as a thing. soup because I think it would just taste too strong. The broth would taste strong. The thing about the pate is you know that it's a strong flavor, but you eat just a tiny little bite on something else that um, kind of neutralizes that flavor. So I like using Granny Smith apples or, you know, like a plantain chip or something um, to kind of counteract that. I like, I like the cubes. I like uh-huh. the cube theory. <laughs> uh-huh. And where is your favorite place to get this you know, what, what, what's Mickey's stamp on place to get this good grass-fed, uh, you know, ethically raised liver? Do you have a favorite yeah. place where people can? So, I mean, your, the best bet is going to be your local farmer. So um, eatwild.com is a great resource that people can go to to find a farm near them. I'm always contacted by people that say, I live in a food desert. There's no farms near me. And then I look up <laughs> their uh or whatever online and you know there might be a lot of farms around them so I actually get my cow from a neighbor that lives two doors down from me Um, I'm fortunate to live in Oregon where we have lots of agriculture and that's common Um, but that's the best source you know if you can find someone local that treats their animals well um, if they for me having the um, animals slaughtered on the property as opposed to going to a facility is really important to me um, because I care about the animal welfare um, another option can be some of these online retailers so there's um, US wellness meats I believe they sell the highest quality 
quality different all different meat products but i believe that they have liver they also have some sausages and some liverwurst um, some organ meats that are worked into other uh, products that are, are pre-made but from really good ingredients you guys can check that out too huh. that's a great tip all right we're like, we're both like <laughs> Okay. Up at the same time, we're like, yeah. okay, eat wild. Okay, okay. I'm like checking it out. Okay, great. This looks awesome. Love it. Okay. And so even you know, grocery stores have like like Whole Foods has liver. Sometimes if they don't have it, you can ask them. I just even even at a nice store like Whole Foods, you're going to get a higher quality going directly to your farmer. Right. 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 And then you know, I'm of course obviously working at the farmer's market. I'm a big farmer's market person because you actually get to meet these people. There's an energy exchange that goes on that says, I really like these people. I love the person that makes this or grows this or, you know, um, it's just, it's, it's a good energy exchange. I love farmer's markets. So um, you get to meet the people. (laughs) That's that's just better for me, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's just um I don't know. I, I like it. It makes your your goods that much better and your veggies taste that much better and knowing that you're supporting local families and I just dig it. I'm a big farmers market person. I do too. Me too. <laughs> okay, so let's talk a little bit about if you don't mind cross contamination and 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 how do you uh if you're doing the elimination diet uh, Mickey and you have you know, a family that's not necessarily going to jump on board with you right away, you know, it's a baby step thing. How do you keep your kitchen safe yeah, from so cross-contamination? Yep. You want to think about the foods that are going to uh, cause the biggest problem from a cross-contamination standpoint, and it's gluten. And so um, for anyone in a mixed diet household, what I suggest is having a couple sets of really basic things so you don't have to have a complete second kitchen, but just having a separate cutting board, maybe a designated knife or and some utensils you know, to stir in the pot. And then if there's any uh, cooking items that are going to be heavily glutened, don't share them. So the toaster is off limits to you while you're doing AIP and probably ever. Um, don't use your toaster. If you have a toaster oven, that's another area of cross-contamination. If you have a pot where your family commonly makes pasta or a strainer that they use to strain the pasta, don't try to share these things. If you can pick up a second um, strainer or maybe a second pot, a second cutting board, and then just say, maybe label a knife and say, this is the knife that mom's using for her food, and these are the knives that everyone else can use. Um, That's where I would start. Another area that people um, make mistakes with cross-contamination is actually sponges. So um, Mm. for me, I've actually been dairied a lot when I lived in a house with roommates who were my, my roommates were gluten-free, but they actually had dairy and they were cleaning dishes with the same sponge and, um, we didn't have a dishwasher for everything, so um, I was eating off of plates that they used with a sponge, and, you know, it caused me problems. And, and so that's something that if you're very sensitive, you might want to consider maybe getting a different colored sponge and separating that. Um, if you have a dishwasher, that's great. Usually dishwashers are great at, at 
thoroughly cleaning, if you're doing hand washing, sometimes you have to be really careful. Obviously, if your family eats something and then that plate doesn't get cleaned very well, you know, just kind of make some assessments there. But just kind of using your um, using your brain to kind of figure out maybe how your family uses the kitchen, what else is going on there that has gluten, what areas that's in, and, and how you can troubleshoot to kind of keep that a safe setup for you while you do the elimination diet. Great. Now yeah. another, another question is how important is compliance in this 30 days? Very. So you need to do it 100% compliance. Um, that's a very hard point for a lot of people. And the reason is, is because you're truly clearing the slate from an immune perspective, which um, this isn't 80-20, you know, we're trying mm-hmm. paleo most of the time and then cheat meals. There's no cheat meals with AIP. Um, right. You really need to do it at 100% compliance to let all of that inflammation go down so you you can clear that slate and see those reactions to those foods. So my suggestion is if you think that you're going to have a hard time with 100% compliance, don't do it until you can really prepare and plan and set yourself up for success for 100% compliance. So, for instance, don't start the elimination diet a week before you go on an international vacation or um, maybe don't do it while you're moving or, um, you know, if holidays is a really big thing for you, I've had lots of clients do this during the holidays and they're fine because they set themselves up with their own food or they are cooking and, and they're providing the food for everyone so they, they can provide themselves parts of a meal that they can eat. But for some people, that's a deal breaker. They have to go to their families or whatever. So um, right. be conscious about when you do it and setting yourself up for success Um, which is one of my favorite things to teach people, is like meal planning and batch cooking. You don't just post a list on your fridge and start tomorrow. You have to think about the things that you're going to have to change, and you might want to wade into it in a phased approach instead of doing it cold turkey. So you might want to just start with gluten and go gluten-free, and then in a couple weeks, take dairy out, and then in a couple weeks, take eggs out and do it backwards, of course, the whole protocol gets a little longer because you're not in elimination sooner. Um, right, you're, you're extending you that elimination stuff. by 30 days, right, when you add that, that new food in. Yeah, right? yeah, so, right. yeah, exactly. I mean, so, when you, you know, take away, partner, sorry, when you take away the food, <laughs> you're yeah, adding right. an extra 30 my days, My partner right. has a very successful six-week program. Um, it's called Sad to AIP in Six. And she actually has a group starting in a couple weeks. But what she does is they take out one food um, every week for six weeks. And then at the end of the six weeks, they are fully compliant on the elimination diet, but they just took more time to um, do it in a stable way so that they understood the meal planning and the batch cooking. And with that one food, finding replacements, taking a whole week to figure out, okay, if I'm not using butter and I'm not creaming my coffee, you know, what am I going to do? You know, you have a whole week to just solve that one problem instead of also saying, well, now I've changed my breakfast and I'm not having my toast or my sandwich and I'm not eating the nut butter. And, you know, it's just like too much for some people. So um, doing it slowly can really help. Definitely, definitely, because there's a lot of people who are who are apprehensive. So, so doing it slow definitely helps for some, for a lot probably. 
Yeah, I think, I think for me, those of for us me, who, it would be just like having it all laid out. Okay, this is what you're going to eat. <laughs> Make sure you get it cooked. This is your shopping list. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, meal oh, definitely. Meal planning definitely. and cooking. For me, meal it would be what you can have. Are really. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. Now, t- yeah. tell us more, a little bit more, Mickey, about batch cooking. Define that for me. What do you mean by batch cooking? Just, is that yeah, like... great question. And this is my favorite topic. So okay. batch cooking is when you uh, buy a bunch of ingredients and you have a plan to cook for the future. So um, I did this a couple days ago. I got out a huge soup pot and I, I basically tripled a recipe. And I, I cooked a few different um, recipes, but the biggest one I tripled. And it's because I'm going through a busy phase in my life and, and I don't want to be cooking three meals a day. I mean, who does in normal life anyways? And I, when I'm done with that tripled recipe, I portion it into wide mouth ball glass jars with um, BPA-free lids. I label everything with the meal and the date. And then I freeze like 90% of it. And then in a week or two or a month or whenever, I'm like, oh, man, I forgot, you know, about dinner tonight or whatever. I just pull out that AIP chili that I've made that's got ground beef. It's got a little liver cube. It's got bone broth and rutabaga and carrots and onions and herbs, and it's all beautifully cooked. And all I have to do is dump it into a pan, heat it up, and dinner's ready. So batch cooking is something that sets you up for success in the future. It takes a little bit of time and planning to kind of set that up like in a session. But what I'll do is I'll have maybe one or two things cooking on the stove top. So like a soup or a stew, maybe I'm braising something, maybe I'm um, like in my grill pan just making some chicken breast or some steak or something. And then in the oven, I'll usually have one or two sheets of something roasting. So maybe I'll do like roast mixed vegetables or root vegetables or chicken. And I just cook a ton of food all at the same time over like two or three hours. And then I take it all apart. I put it all in portion size containers. Sometimes I freeze it. Sometimes it's just for the week. But then that week, everything's prepped. Everything's cooked. You know, you don't have to do so much work every day. like that. Now, does your family um, eat paleo? Do they eat, well, I shouldn't even say paleo or whatever, but does your family eat the same way as you? Yeah, so my husband initially, he was omnivorous and he was eating whatever, and it was a little bit of a struggle. But since he saw the changes in me, he started just saying, you know what, I'll just eat what you eat. We won't bring gluten to the house. Occasionally, he'll bring something that he can eat that I can't into the house, but it's never something that's going to cause a cross-contamination issue because he knows that how important that is to me. Um, and I'm really lucky to have him so supportive. But over the years, he's actually realized through eating the way that I do at home Um, he has some food sensitivities and some of them don't line up with mine. So he's Uh actually really sensitive to like 
potatoes. And like once when I reintroduced potatoes, I made a potato leek soup and I was so happy. And he was the one that had a reaction to it. And he was like, I think I'm allergic to potatoes or I think I'm sensitive to them. And, and so that's been really interesting to see him understand that even though he doesn't have an autoimmune disease, there might be foods out there that don't work great for him, you know? So um, mostly what we do is, is the things that he adds, he adds things on that I don't eat. So he might like have beer or um, he never brings bread into the house, but he just, I think of them as add-ons, you know, like he might have his kind of addition, but I don't really cook him special food. We eat all the same, the same stuff, if that makes sense. Yes, yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And and this type of food, people might be like, well, I don't know if my husband or my kids are going to like this. Kids are one one thing because once they start eating a certain way, sometimes it can be hard to open their mind to like vegetables or not processed foods. But usually husbands are pretty excited about like prime rib or, you know, um, (laughs) like short ribs or like roast chicken. And, you know, the vegetables for, you know, sometimes can be a little harder, but like, really, this is good home cooking. This is not weird food, you know? (laughs) Right. Right. My, my kids just like things that smell good. I know that sounds terrible, but like when we're cooking and, you know, they'll always go like, oh my gosh, it smells so good, mom, you know? Uh, so I just won't tell them there's liver in there. That's great. Just... <laughs> that's a that's a great place to start. You know, like when you said that, the thing that I thought of that I've made recently that smells so good is cranberry braised short ribs. I have a re- a recipe on my blog and my book oh. where I just it's a great fall recipe and you you braise short ribs with a bunch of herbs and rosemary and cranberries and it's just like that tart and sweet and it smells so good when you cook. I bet your kids would love that. Mm. They do. They just love. They love the smell. I mean, they're aromatherapy kids. You know what I mean. So they're like everything has a smell mm-hmm. to it. Oh, mom, smell this. Mom, oh, smell this. Smell oh, this. <laughs> a plant. <laughs> you have you have trained them well. You have. Trained oh them my well. God. Well, they grew up with it. So I mean, I think they're, you know, and especially baking. You know, I mean, when you're baking something, the cinnamon and just, it's very therapeutic. I mean, that is what I refer to as traditional aromatherapy. I think. A lot mm-hmm. of health consequences have also come from the fact that we don't cook anymore. So we're not mm-hmm. inhaling all these amazing herbs and, and vegetables and all these different things like we normally do. I mean, when you think about your grandma or whatever, right, it's almost always associated with some type of cooking aromatherapy. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. oh, that reminds me of my, of my grandma or this recipe or, you know, Christmas or the holidays or the fall or whatever, you know, I mean, it's, it's really a much more ingrained uh, therapy than we than we give it credit for. That's just my two cents on that one. Well, but. plus it starts the it starts the you know process when you smell the food, then your brain starts to go okay, and then your salivary gland, you know, I mean, it starts the process. So oh, for sure, it makes sense. And if my husband is grumpy, and he smells something that smells good, it instantly shifts his mood. I'm like, Phew. the kids are like, mom, quick, bake something. <laughs> Oh, my gosh. So silly. Okay, Mickey, what are some of your favorite recipes? What are the recipes that you were like, uh, nailed it? <laughs> okay. Nailed so it. That, <laughs> that chili, for sure. 
Um, the chili I was just talking about, um, the recipe is on my site if you Google AIP Magic Chili. Um, I call it Magic Chili because it doesn't have nightshade uh, family vegetables. It doesn't have beans or legumes in it, but it tastes amazing. There's over 100 comments on that post saying from people that are just like, oh, my God, this is amazing. My kids loved it. My husband loved it. And it even has that kind of reddish look to it because I use beets. And uh, if you Ooh. don't tell anyone that they're beets, you probably won't get to have anyone notice. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's it's a beautiful, beautiful dish, and it's so easy to make. It's quick. It just that takes a half totally hour to make. That totally looks like chili. <laughs> I just yeah, it. yeah, it looks exactly <laughs> like chili. I've had people write me being like, "You're you're falsifying your stuff online. That has tomatoes in it," and it's like, "No, nope, <laughs> it doesn't have tomatoes." Um, so I make that at least once a week, and I batch cook it all the time. It freezes really well. It keeps in the fridge really well. Um, that's a big staple for me. The pate, also bacon beef liver pate, that one is is a staple and has great reviews. Um, something that I also make a lot, I have a few different variations of this recipe in my books and on my blog, chicken soup. Chicken soup is one of those things that it's really easy to make. If you get a whole chicken, you can get that really good meat at the best price because, you know, you're not paying someone to kind of take off the different parts and whatever. And then you get to use all of the bones. You make kind of a bone broth when you make chicken right. soup. So right. there are a million ways to make chicken soup. I usually make it in my instant pot. It takes 17 minutes to cook um, at pressure, so it takes a little time to get up to pressure. Wow. But I just throw it in there with a bunch of water, a little bit of uh, cider vinegar, all the vegetables and whatever vegetables I have. So, you know, carrots, onions, parsnips, um, sweet potatoes, whatever. Um, And then it cooks super fast. And then I take all the meat off the carcass, throw it back in the pot. And then I save that carcass to make broth. So, you know, you really can maximize that protein source. Um, so chicken soup is something. And if you guys don't have an Instant Pot, you haven't heard of the Instant Pot, get one. I have I not late. heard of an Instant oh, Pot. Oh, my gosh. No, my chicken soup takes three hours. Pot. Oh, my gosh. The Instant Pot is going to blow your mind. <laughs> it's totally going to blow your mind. It's an electric pressure cooker, slow cooker that's um, countertop, and it does everything. So it can also saute in there. So if you're making like a chicken soup, I'll throw in some onions and some coconut oil. I'll saute them, maybe add some garlic and some herbs. And then all I have to do is fill it with water, put the chicken, put all the vegetables in, lock the lid, put high pressure, 17 minutes. And then I come back in 40 or so minutes because it has to get up to pressure. But what it'll do is raise the pressure, cook for the 17 minutes, beep when it's off, you can quick release or let it slow release, and dinner's ready. It's like this incredible invention. I love it. Oh, love that. Wow. Okay. I was going to say, and I was just going to ask you before you mentioned the Instant Pot, I think I'm going to have to get one, get an Instant Pot too, but being as though I'm at dance usually, my three girls are dancers, so I'm there for literally like three to four hours. And so crock pots are my best friend. Do you have any yeah, so the instant uh, pot favorite crock pots? Crock pot. It's also a crock pot. So you can literally put your chicken soup in there the exact same way that I just described and just click slow cook eight hours on medium or whatever you want. And it'll it'll be done when you're ready to come home. Oh. Is there only one instant pot, Mickey, or is there or there do yeah, you have a favorite it's brand made or by instant pot. 
It's it's this company. You know, there are a lot of coffees out there. Okay, got know. it. It's Smart about it. <laughs> they just they they basically took over the whole market because it was designed by an engineer that I, I think they just wanted to solve the problem of why are pressure cookers so hard to use and. Uh, there's so many out there, but with a pressure cooker, yeah, it cooks everything fast, but you have to kind of babysit it and you have to kind of know how to use it. What if we created a pressure cooker that was in its own little thing and electronic and did its own thing and you didn't have to worry about it? And so they solved that problem. And um, every time, I think Amazon usually puts them on heavy sale, like Black Friday and on Prime Day, and it's always the highest selling thing on Amazon. People love them. Right? And we've it's, actually, it's not our crazy. has. Yeah, it's, it's not, not crazy, my KitchenAid blender. It looks like it's 130 bucks and something like yeah. that. Yeah, but you, but when Amazon puts it on sale, they're like 60 or 70 dollars. Oh, they, really? they fly off the shelf. Yeah, yeah. So if you you know if you want one now, I think it's worth 130 bucks. But if you really don't have a lot of budget for cooking stuff, wait until the sale because they go on super sale maybe two or three times a year. Um, I usually buy two or three and I give them to people for different gifts and holidays and stuff because. And it does, but I'm going to have to read. I'm on instantpot.com. I just pulled it up. And uh, (laughs) now, is it bigger than it looks? You can still fit a whole chicken in there? Yep. So it looks like it's kind of potish looking rather than like a crock pot that's a little bit bigger, you know, uh, around. It's taller taller and skinnier. And um, the five quart, I have the five quart and the six quart because I'm crazy. And both of them fit a chicken. (laughs) I find the bigger one is makes more soup and more vegetables. So when I make a chicken in the five quart, I'll take some of the meat and then I'll use that to make like chicken salad or something because it's too much meat for the amount of liquid that goes in the five quart. But in the six quart, it's perfect. Gotcha. All right. Instant Ooh. pot. Gets the, you gets should be the their spokesperson. Stamp. I know, right? <laughs> and I'm not affiliated with them in any way. So I know you saying. should I be. Their <laughs> no, you're just. I know. I know. They, you're just one of those people that believe in it, and I love that. To me, those are the best. Those are the best kinds. I don't get any kickbacks. This is. I just really love this. Yeah. <laughs> oh my goodness. Well, okay, so we, um Oh, well I was just going to say we love talking to you, but we could talk all day, but I want to know what you're eating today. I want to know what's on the the plan for for Mickey to eat today. What you had for breakfast or I love if that. had it? Yeah, so I had my chili for breakfast. So we've already talked about that. Um I'm pretty keep it simple with my food. I don't usually eat I'm not eating like crazy gourmet stuff all the time. I practice what I preach and I eat what I talk about all the time. So I had that chili for breakfast. I batch cooked it on Sunday. I froze a bunch of it and then we've had the leftovers in the fridge for a couple of days and uh and that's what I had for breakfast. For lunch, I'm going to grill some salmon and have a salad. So usually lunch is something that I put together pretty quick. Um, And then dinner, I'm going to cook a chicken. I probably actually haven't thought about what I'm going to do with it yet, but I have a deep freezer (laughs) because I buy meat from my local farmers and I have a bunch of meat. So what I'll do is I'll have my husband go out and pick out the meat for the week and then I'll just put something together with what vegetables we have for dinners. So I've got a chicken in there. I don't know what I'm going to do with it yet, full disclosure. But 
Maybe soup. <laughs> well, we okay. want a picture. We want to know. <laughs> okay, I'll I'll put it on Instagram. Okay. There we go. <laughs> okay, so I have to ask you one last question. The on the run. How do you stay elimination diet AIP on the run if you're just like a on the go person all the time? Do you carry your meals with you or what are what are Mickey's tips for yeah. for on the run you can, and AIP? Yeah, you can you can bring meals with you. So um, there's this great um, little heater, Hot Logic um, heating pad thing that um, you can get an adapter for a car. So I've used this on a plane before in an international trip. I've also used it in the car. Um, and it's just a little Pyrex, glass Pyrex fits right into it. And you plug it in, and it's very low heat, but it'll heat up your meal. So if you have, like, a lunch or something you want it to be warmer, you're sitting at your desk at work and you brought your lunch with you, you can take it out of the fridge and just put it in this little heating pad, and it'll warm up your soup or whatever you've got. Um, so I definitely recommend that. I use that all the time. Um, if you're traveling, you know, what I do when I have a busy day, just when I'm home and I'm around, I eat a really good breakfast. So I start by kind of, uh, of planning ahead just by eating a lot of protein, a lot of fat. If I know that I'm not going to, I'm going to be out, maybe I'm going to have a late lunch or something. Cause I prefer to eat at home. I prefer not to eat out. Um, I will bring a snack with me, but I will set myself up for success and just have an extra big breakfast. And then as far as snacks, I like Epic bars. I don't know if you guys have had those oh, yes. or have used those, mm-hmm. but they're pemmican bars. Um, the cranberry bison one is AIP. Um, so I usually carry those in my purse if I'm out and, you know, I, I might sometimes get home at three and, uh, you know, have a late lunch. And then actually my blood sugar is so stable these days that sometimes I don't even eat lunch. Sometimes I'll just have a big snack. If I've got liver pate in the fridge, like I said, it gives me a lot of energy. Have that with like half an apple slices or something like that. Um, that'll carry me for dinner. You know, some people can't get away with that. I know Many people still suffer from blood sugar dysregulation issues, and I don't recommend going too long without food if you get hypoglycemic or something like that. But um, that's what I do. You know, breakfast and dinner are usually my best meals. Lunch is a little bit lighter. All right. Wow. I just want to, like, come over and, like, or maybe just go grocery shopping with you. Oh, well, if you guys are ever in Oregon, hit me up. Okay, one more thing, because I have to ask. Okay, favorite, because I know you've already given us the chili, but favorite breakfast recipe, favorite lunch recipe, favorite dinner recipe. So three more three more favorite Mickey recipes. Okay, I'm going to sound like a broken record, but soup for breakfast rocks my world. <laughs> um, in my most recent book, the Autoimmune Wellness Handbook, I have a green breakfast soup recipe that is out of this world it's a chicken soup um no you don't have to just eat it for breakfast people are like why is that called a breakfast soup and it's because i eat it for breakfast all the time and i associate (laughs) breakfast with it but it's great and i take some of the greens and raw and i blend them up and then add them back to the soup and it just has a beautiful color um it's bright it tastes really good i love it lunches, I just love having a big salad for lunch. Like I just said, I'm not usually not very hungry for lunch. Lunch is the lightest meal of the day for me. Sometimes I won't even have any meat. 
So I usually will take leftover or quickly cooked protein and just um, whatever's in the garden, whatever's in my fridge, I just make a big salad. It usually involves avocado, green onions, fresh Meyer lemons or whatever in the dressing, um, just whatever I'm inspired by there. Dinner, I love to make my really good hearty meal for dinner. So um, like in the summer right now, I've been doing a lot of like sear roasted or grilled pork chops. Um, we just got a quarter of a pig and, and the pork is just really good. So um, we'll do steak, same same kind of drill, can cook it both the same way. Um, now that we're transitioning into fall, I might do more like oven roasted recipes. So um, there's a, a sage braised chicken thighs recipe in my cookbook. Anyways, I'm giving you guys way more than my favorite. I clearly don't have a favorite. I just like food. <laughs> Well, and I have to tell people so, yeah. I'm a huge fan. If you're if you're a salad person with, like me, I love salads, and I'm a huge fan of the Primal Kitchen um, salad dressings. They're just me too. smoking. I love them. They're very good, and those are AIP, right? Super. You know, some of the flavors are AIP, some aren't. So I would definitely check ingredients. And that goes with any companies. You know, there's a lot of really high-integrity companies out there making great ingredients for paleo. But just because it's paleo doesn't mean it's AIP. Doesn't mean it's so, like, black pepper, mustard seeds. Some, there's some things in some of those uh, dressings that you'll want to be cautious of if you're doing the elimination diet. But there are plenty of recipes online for dressings you can make. For dressing. Um, I think, yeah, like Tessames might have some. I make my own. I just love making dressings. So um, I that's just one thing I just that need I'll recipes. Cook. Mickey, I just need recipes. I just need to follow a recipe. I'm good with that. You know, buy this, this, and this. And make it this way. I'm, check I'm out, you know, good with making my own check stuff. Check out our website. That, you know, I yeah. am. Yeah. I yeah, am. We so have over more... 250 free recipes there. So there's, we got you covered. There's lots. <laughs> okay, so one more question. Oh, I'm Tim. sorry. And I promise I'll let you go. Okay. <laughs> what are, mm, do you have like a top five myths of AIP? Because, I, I mean, that was a great one. There's a difference between paleo yes. and AIP. That's a big difference. I love your question. This is great. Okay, top five myths. AIP is forever. We busted that one, right? Yes, we did. We, we busted that one. Yep. Um, second myth, AIP is just about eliminations. It's not. It's about what you add in and what you replace. So we didn't really talk about nutrient density, but I've got a bunch of posts on my site about that. You're not replacing the foods you're eliminating with boring, bland, not nutrient-dense foods. You're trying to add in those things like the organ meats, the bone broths, the fermented foods, the vegetables. You're trying to replace with the highest nutrient density, if that makes sense. Yes. Mm -hmm. um, another misconception about AIP is that healing is linear. So just because you do it means that you're going to get success, and just because someone else did it um, – and they have the same disease as you or they're the same age as you or they have the same symptoms as you is that your your journey is going to line up with theirs. It might not. You might have some troubleshooting. That's okay. You might have peaks and valleys. Every We've all had our ups and downs. It doesn't just go up, you know? We um, love that. Trust me. Uh -huh. <laughs> you said that. <laughs> Another, uh, I would say a fourth myth is um, is that in a similar vein, 
you know, people uh, tolerate certain foods based on a disease or, or whatever, just because, you know, I have Hashimoto's and I don't tolerate dairy and you might have Hashimoto's and you might tolerate dairy. It, it, you know, just because someone else, it works for them doesn't mean it's going to work for you. Um, and then I would say the last, what is the last myth? I did good with four and then I got. <laughs> we can stick with four. Uh, we can stick with four. Okay. Stick with four. Stick you with know, four. No, I love thing. that. <laughs> okay. You you guys are funny. I I like this interview. I like being yeah. on the toes. Um, yeah. But I think in closing, the last thing that I would say, too, is that no one can guarantee what's going to happen for you. You never really know until you try. And a lot of people are scared to try because they kind of want to guarantee or they want to know what's going to happen, but we never know what's going to happen. And the most beautiful things in life happen when you take a step and and you're vulnerable and you don't know what's going to happen. And that's why I love this process because it's, it's, people think like the calling it a diet is kind of, is not really uh, addressing what it is. It's really an opportunity to learn from yourself and your body. And that's a, can produce a big shift, not just in the food you eat. It can change your, your life, your relationships, your career, and you know, all of that. So I don't know. We can call that number five. AIP is not a diet. (laughs) How about that? AIP is not a diet. I love Not that. a diet, right? Yeah. Well, before we, before Tiffany jumps in with another question, and we, I know we have to let you go. Uh, we could talk to you all day. What is new and exciting on the horizon uh, for Mickey Trescott? Anything you got coming up? Are you taking time off? What are you doing? You know, um, I'm taking time off. So I'm actually the new and exciting thing for me is not having a next thing. Um, I've spent oh, the God. last four years, you know, writing books and coaching and um, writing another book and working on the website. And, um, you know, I've done a lot. And I think that I need to be respectful of my my body and kind of what it's been put through. And, you know, I'm grateful for the energy that I have. And I I feel like I still have a fire lit, but I'm not going to be able to make it if I don't take a step back and take some time off. So um, last week, we did a bundle with the community where we bundled um, a bunch of our books together and we raised $20,000 for charity. And so I'm just kind of coming off of that high, feeling really grateful to be a wow. part of a community with with a bunch of people that are just this, this AIP community, you guys, just plug into it. It's just full of really incredible people doing amazing things. Um, and, and I don't feel like I need to be burning the candle at both ends constantly. So I'm really excited to take a step back and, and kind of um, sit in that gratitude and rest a little bit. That is I so important. Awesome. That is amazing. And I'm so glad we asked you that so that you could give that answer because that's really, really important. I mean, just being and just like you said, sitting in your gratitude, it's fabulous. So thank you for sharing. Yeah. Yeah, it just makes oh, me like, thank, thank you so much. For, uh, <laughs> you know, we're just oh. taking a deep breath for you. You know, that's, it's fantastic. Thanks. You've been going and doing, and of course, just, you know, be, breathe, do it, love it. 
We love it. Yeah, because it's illness. I got into this because of my illness, and and I know what happens if I don't take care of myself. And, you know, we we talk a lot about the stress management and time off and, you know, the life of a of a author and online business owner is very demanding and the expectation is to constantly be having a next thing and uh, and I just really encourage all of my friends who are in this community and in this industry to really try and and take care of themselves because you know it's it's not worth getting sick again and you know we do our best work I think when we feel rejuvenated and restored and creative and inspired and happy you know it's so it's so interesting that you um you know that you were able to to see that too that you were able to to look at it and go this is what I need this is what I need right now this is what I'm going to do I just uh, got to see uh, Magdalena and Isabella and a few other amazing uh, people this past weekend and I talked to Isabella and she said you know Isabella went she said I'm 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 doing the same thing that's what she's doing she's gonna uh, sit in the gratitude. She's been very busy. You know, she had her book and she had the the summit and things. And so, I think that's I respect that uh, that you're just owning and uh, honoring yourself. I think. Are you still there? Did I lose everybody? <laughs> I'm here. No, I know we're here. Uh, I think that's I think that's really important for people to know too. You know that that um, you know Dan and I talk about it all the time. You have to listen to your body. If your body says it's chill time we have to listen to the fact that it's chill time and that's what prevents the autoimmune from flaring again. And it's, it's very important to be plugged into to the body and all of its messaging. You know, I think that is a really significant um, factor in staying well, you know, and it's great that you're doing it. Great that you're doing it. Great that you saw that. I love it. So, so we're, we're not always go, go, go. We're not, right. even though it may seem like it. We're not always go, go, go. We need to stop and, and uh, smell the roses, so to speak. Well, Mickey, this has been absolutely a blast. We have had such a great time. We've been wanting to talk to you for a long time, so thank you so much for joining us today. We will share how everyone can find you, and, of course, everybody probably already knows where to find you, but we'll share that as soon as we, <laughs> we let you go. But we've had a great, great time, and uh, we look forward to talking to you again. Awesome. Thank you guys so much for having me. This has been really fun and I really enjoyed the questions and I hope I didn't scare anyone from eating liver. I promise that's not the only thing about uh, AIP and definitely reach out to me and plug into the AIP community if you guys are interested in uh, the elimination diet or you need support. Well, that's so great. We're going to, I'm going to think of that from now on um, that Mickey's a liver lover and I'm going to join, I'm going to jump in the, jump on the bandwagon. I love it. Okay. Thank you so much. Have a great day. Bye, guys. Bye. Bye, Mickey. Thank you. Oh, my gosh. She seems so amazingly sweet, and I am I'm looking at adorable. the... She is adorable. I just want to put her in my pocket. I mean... I love this. The green... I'm, I have, like, a 15 windows open. I'm looking at the green uh-huh. breakfast soup. That sounds so good. I'm totally it doing does. that. And my kids would eat that. My kids would totally eat that. And then on her... Um, autoimmunewellness.com which is where you can find all things Mickey and and autoimmune wellness and AIP and recipes and blogging and meal plans and I'm looking at vanilla energy bites. Hmm. <laughs> yeah, me. There's like so many things. Her chili looks amazing. I'm just I'm in. Her pate I'm sounds in. fantastic. I will do this. 
Huh? Her pate you sounds fantastic. Gonna... You know, doesn't right? it? I thought it did. It I thought it sounded really interesting. <clears throat> and I love the way, like, she talks about, you know, doing it when you're not stressed. So I think what I'm going to do is just, like, incorporate a bunch of recipes now. And then I'm going to do the 30-day AIP after the holidays. That would cause me so much stress to try to attempt to do that now for 30 days, coming into mm-hmm. September, October, November, December. Do you know what mm-hmm. I mean? Mm-hmm. It just, it just wouldn't. I would be, I would be so stressed doing it. You know what I mean? Which is kind of the antithesis of doing it in the first place. So why would you do that? So I right. love the fact that she said that. You got to, mm-hmm. you know, it's just like coaching anything else. You got to set yourself up, you know, for success to do it. So I'm going to start fiddling with some recipes. Okay, can't wait to hear. As always, yeah. a very big thank you to our listeners. Uh, we really enjoy doing the show, and if you enjoy it as much as we do, we would love a review on iTunes. You can find it, of course, by going to iTunes, but we can, you also there's a link on thyroidradio.com. Scroll down and just uh, leave us a little comment. And you can always download and listen to all the shows podcasts uh, on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play. We're pretty much everywhere. You can take us on your run or in the car with you or whatever you want. So you can find us anywhere. Absolutely. And, and just in case anyone missed it, you can again find all things Mickey Trescott at autoimmunewellness.com. Of course, please be sure to check out Thyroid Nation Essentials at thyroidnation.com. Just wonderful, clean, preservative, synthetic-free skincare, some handy inhalers for helping with cognition and different things um but honestly nothing's going to replace nutrition i think this is i think this is awesome but these things help you uh, avoid additional toxins that can cause Mm -hmm. additional problems right so make sure to check out thyroid nation essentials at thyroidnation.com and follow us on facebook and all the social media platforms that you're on if you'd like and check out the hoshies and grays facebook group we uh, list all the upcoming guests and the past shows and you can listen to the show there. And there's lots of questions and lots of people there. So uh, you can uh, join in with. The little lady just beeped in and she scared me. She said, you have 90 seconds left in her British voice. Oh, my gosh. So sorry about that. <laughs> That's okay. Of course, Dana and I most importantly always want to remind you that wellness is a journey and takes continual maintenance and evaluation. Pay attention and listen to listen, what it's telling you. Listen yep. to your body. This is Dana, your Thyroid Nation Gringotica. And Tiffany Malamich. Bringing the collective voice of thyroid thrivers worldwide so that together, united we heal. Thanks, guys. Next week we we have Dr. Kellyanne Petrucci, and the show will be on Thursday, a special day and time just for her. So we'll see you then. All right. Have a good week.